Welcome to Unlocking Moves, where we're going to cover the key decision points and pivotal moments that really change the trajectory of successful entrepreneurs and leaders. When I want to hear their real life stories, not just the glory stories, but also the gory stories, because as I like to say, the bigger the shit show, the bigger the lesson. So speaking of shit shows, my guest today has made a living telling stories about him, things that really happened to him, or as he was, he would correct me, things that happened for him, not to him. So Eric Coleman, I like to hit my guests up with a fairly off the wall question or comment to start off our episode, just to throw you off balance a little bit. So my question is a two-parter. Let's start with the comment. You were recently named the number two most likable author in the world behind JK Rowling. That sounds like a made up award. And second of all, less likable than J.K. Rowling? <laughs> well, keep in mind, this was many, many years ago. Uh, and then it's funny because they introduced me sometimes on stage because of that. And they're like, well, you don't even want to be associated with her. I'm like, what happened? Because I don't follow the news as much as I probably should. So now we've changed it to second most likable author behind the Harry Potter series. So, uh, but yeah, it does sound made up. There is a company that's quite large, actually, uh, likable media up in New York and they run likable awards. And so fortunately, I somehow got on the docket and then fortunately was able to get a distant second. It was a distant second, but fortunately was able to get second place and above one of my my idols, Seth Godin. So that was kind of one of those aha moments. Uh, but it's one of those places, it's just the stars aligned, somewhat luck, right? That you got put on the docket, that somehow social was hot. I was big in social because of social nomics, and so it's the right place, right time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks for playing along. My guest today, as you've heard, is my good friend, Eric Qualman, who is a stud. He's a five times number one uh, best-selling author. He's also a, a highly sought after keynote speaker. His books include things like uh, What Happened in Vegas, Stays on YouTube, uh, Social Nomics, and his most recent one, uh, The Focus Project. So Eric, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to Unlocking Moves. No, it's great to be here with you and your audience. I love it. Good to see you. If you're just joining us on Unlocking Moves, today's episode is brought to you as usual by Hire Better, the strategic talent partner for growth-minded entrepreneurs everywhere. Awesome. So Eric, you have such a great story from online marketing for uh, brands uh, such as, uh, you know, in the auto industry and Yahoo and things like that, all the way to Equal Man. Uh, I know a little bit about the story behind the superhero persona, but what I don't know is how that even came about. Like, how'd you even go uh, from uh, individual contributor to superhero? Yeah, I mean, I was at the tech side of the business, as you mentioned. So I was there for two decades. I started very young as an intern at Cadillac. So, so very, very young. And then digital took off basically when I was an intern, meaning websites were new. So I literally, it was a PDF, but helped program Cadillac.com. It's just because they're like, you're young, like make it happen. <laughs> and then how do I get here to where I speak and write? And why is, why do I wear green glasses? Why am I called Equal Man? Um, I'll try to make that as short as possible. But the Equal Man thing came about just because my name's Eric Qualman. And then they hand you an email address, first initial, last name. It happens to be Equal Man. And at Cadillac, actually, where I was interning, I, I didn't like it for 15 years. And I'm telling this story because I do think for you listeners out there, it's your story. We're all living the same movie. We're just different actors. So as I tell you my story, my hope the thing is different for you is you don't resist your story for 15 years like I did. So I didn't like the name Equal Man. I was a good-natured 
ribbing, but you're in a meeting. Oh man, we're out of coffee. Well, equal man, you're super fast. Why don't you <laughs> go down the street and get us some coffee? So I didn't like it, resisted it, thought it was happening to me, not for me. And then a moment in time, uh, just the book you just held up, uh, the third book, What Happens in Vegas Days on YouTube was doing well. So they wanted to do, magazine was doing an interview and they wanted a cover shot. And they said, hey, do you mind wearing, cause you got a unique email address. Do you mind wearing some Clark Kent like glasses? I said, yeah, we can make that happen. And they go, do you mind if they're bright green? Cause it's our St. Patty's edition. I go, sure, whatever it takes. And they bring them out. I'm like, whoa, those are, those are alien green. Those are really bright. And I didn't think too much of it. And then a couple of weeks later, I flew to Kenya to give a speech. And it was my first time in Kenya as part of the contract. And also for me to better understand the culture and the country. The night before I was going to a rescue shelter to, to adopt a baby cheetah, uh, not to take home, obviously my wife would kill me, but just to, to support the, the shelter. And on the ride over the woman that was kind of my handler for that week looked at me and said, Hey, you know, Usain Bolt, the Olympic sprinter was here two days ago and he adopted from the same litter that you're going to adopt from. We filmed him and we'd love to film you marry the footage together so we can raise more awareness for the shelter. I'm like, great. Yeah, whatever. Let's do it. And she goes, but obviously when we're filming, we want to make sure you're wearing your bright glasses. And I wasn't where I looked at her and I go, oh, I don't wear those around all the time. That'd be very uncomfortable. People would be staring at me. I don't wear bright green glasses around all the time. And the look of disappointment on her face just told me everything I needed to know. I was like, I never wanted to see that look again. And I realized, wait, if I can help one person by wearing these green glasses, that it's worth walking in that discomfort. It's time for me to step into becoming equal man. And I know this shows, I love this show because it's all about what are some of those moments. Um, and when I stepped into that story, at first you'd like to say, oh, a business just started rolling in. Actually, business was hurt because at the time, everyone wore suits, literally wore a suit and tie on stage to speak. This isn't that long ago. This is probably eight years ago. And so people were like, well, we can't, we're a bank. It's gotta be serious. We can't have this guy with green glasses up there. But then slowly but surely, it actually started to help business. And now we actually, thousands of people will wear these in the audience at a time. So it becomes part of the brand, also more fun for the audience, and then you generate more revenue. So very long story, but it's one of those pivotal moments that I realized don't do what I did, don't resist it for 15 years. Kind of step into your story. It's uncomfortable at first, but long-term, it's the most comfortable place you can live. I love it. And I'm, I hope you have the green glasses concession at each of your uh, places you speak. But here's what I heard. And, and I want to lean into this a little bit. You talked a little bit about being uncomfortable with this persona at first, and you ultimately leaned into it. I, I know you and I know how that you're humble. I know that was hard to do. Talk to me a little bit about that transition from being very uncomfortable to finally being, you know, screw it. I'm equal man. Yeah, I mean, it, it took honestly a couple of years. I'd kind of have them on my head. So I was sort of soft shoeing it a little bit getting in there. I wouldn't have them on all the time. I was only doing it if it was a work-related thing. And then what really hit home and is the community aspect. The superintendent at a school district in, in Texas reached out and said, hey, we'd love to give you a speech to kick off convocation. That's how they kick off their school year with all their bus drivers, school teachers, and people that work administration and teachers. In, and then we want to use the glasses the whole year as a symbol of kindness. We'll wear them maybe once a month every Friday, once a month to remind people, the students will wear them, the bus drivers, the teachers as a kindness campaign. And so that really hit home to where it's like, that's, that's, I didn't know why, like some reason I was named Eric Qualman and some reason that forms equal man. 
And then all of a sudden you start to see that's why, that's why it is. And so that was really impetus to say, I'm going to wear these all the time because if it helps just that one person out there. And, and honestly, it's been very, very good. A side effect is it has been very, very good for business. And ironically enough, that same superintendent had planted a seed two, five years ago that, hey, you should write a book for the students at the elementary level, just like this other speaker, Sean Acker does. And I'm like, interesting. So I put that aside and then now we're, I've written the book and now we're kind of in the process of getting it out there all around the color of kindness. And so I never would have thought this would happen. It's only like as Steve Jobs says in his commencement address, you can only connect the dots looking back. And so it's been a wild ride, but it was that moment in time when I was asked by that school district and they wound up doing it for three years is that, okay, that's, that's what, that's why. Okay. So let's go deep into that. That's awesome. I, I love the fact that you leaned into that. I, I do have to ask this question that uh, I know most inquiring minds are, are interested in learning. You've got two daughters. I honestly forget their ages. But are you equal man at home? And do they give you crap when you show up with your glasses at home? I've been lucky. They haven't turned on me yet. They still <laughs> like the glasses. They wear the glasses. They're very forgetful because they're both 11 and one's about to turn 13. But they, uh, we've been going on a lot of trips this summer, which is beach time. Invariably, they forget or lose their sunglasses. And I always carry a bunch because of what I do. And so they still think it's cool to wear the green glasses. I don't know how long that will last, but it hasn't hit that tipping point yet. Yeah, I've got a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 16-year-old. You have days, if not, you know, maybe weeks left. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, I want to ask a question. I recently uh, watched your uh, commencement speech at Michigan State University, which is your alma mater, where you played basketball there. And you uh, gave the speech about a month ago. You did it in front of, obviously, a very large audience, including your parents. I've got to ask you, how did that feel? That had to be awesome, back in your own stomping grounds, uh, you know, given the commitment speech. T talk to me about it. Yeah, no, it was surreal. I mean, first of all, leading up to it, the, one of the reasons they asked me to give it this year is because folks might remember, unfortunately, several months ago, there was a, a mass shooting on campus at Michigan State University. And so for the commencement, they needed it to be uplifting. And so they thought that 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 my approach, how I approach things on stage would be a, a, a good one to have. And so beyond honored, uh, but it's very surreal. It was like circle of life moment to where understanding that you're on stage in Breslin Center, where you mentioned I played basketball. And so it was so transformative for me that time, like most of us, when you go to college, it's just a time that really transforms you. But to be in the same arena where I actually sat for my graduation and played basketball, is just one of those circle of life moments. My parents are there and, and then my coach, Coach Izzo is still there. So, and I didn't know this, I talked to him the day before, but he walked, the, the Dean knew that he walked in cause he had registered for his suite to be available. It's a big arena. There's about 11,000 people at this commencement address. And so he walked in. And so that was pretty cool that he walked in to, to hear it. And he never told me that's so him uh, that he wouldn't tell me that he walked in or even tell me after that he was there. But the Dean goes, yeah, Coach Izzo walked in while you're talking. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to have my family there. It was great. That's so cool. It's so cool. I've, I've got the feels just, uh, just thinking about it. Uh, so in that speech, you give a, a couple of key takeaways, uh, and I want to list the kind of the three key points, and then I want to get into some of the bullet points or, or some of the uh, catchphrases. First one is uh, be flossom, be courageous, and be kind. Can you talk to me a little bit, maybe summarize the concept there? Yeah, so be flossom is all about people don't love you because you're perfect. They love you because you're perfectly flawed. So it's really about going out there, doing your best, 
and you're going to fail and you're going to have mistakes. The key is being floss and what it means as an individual and also as a business is that, whoops, I made a mistake or I failed. Second, here's what I'm doing to fix it. And then most importantly, actually follow through and fix it. So that's great for an individual in life, but it's also very good in business. The research that we've seen is that if you do that, if you take care of someone's issue, that customer is three times more likely to repeat as a customer than someone that never had an issue in the first place. Mm. So it's really about having that empathy and that desire, but that's what it's all about. Be flossom. People don't love you because you're perfect. They love you because you're perfectly flawed. And then being courageous, that just means stepping into your story. That it takes courage to step into your true self, to step in your story. What we're talking about before, very uncomfortable at first, but it's the most comfortable place that you can live. And it's, it's the greatest story ever told. It's your story. And then last but not least, it's all about, we always say at, at our company, have fun and be kind. That's it. Have fun, be kind. So step into that kindness, kindness wins and, and be kind. It's hard to do, but you'll stand above the rest when, when you're kind as much as possible. Again, flossing, you're going to have days when things aren't going well, you're going to slip, but it's really about that long-term that slope going up. It's a roller coaster ride, but it's really that slope continues to go up. I love it. That concept of flossom. You, you could be the spokesperson for this podcast. I mean, it's exactly what we try to preach every day. And I, I love, I love that you brought that home. One of the things that was, as we were preparing for the show with my producer, he noticed this scratch on my nose and he said, Kurt, don't you have some concealer or something to hide that? I'm like, I'm on a freaking podcast with Eric Qualman talking <laughs> about flaws. I'm not going to conceal it. And if he asks me, I'll tell him the story, which is a dumbass Kurt story, but I'll wait till for him to ask the question. No, I want to hear it. What's going on? Let's go into that. Because I didn't notice it. I thought it was just your glasses were resting there. Uh, well, you can't tell anybody the story. Okay. So keep it to yourself. But uh, this past weekend, I was out at the ranch hunting. And at night, uh, we have a, a green light overlooking the camp where if a, a critter, a pig or something comes in to eat some corn, you can shoot the pig uh, at night. And at night, you also, at least my flawed way, I got closer to my rifle in order to be able to see. And I was too close. And so when it kicked, it's a very powerful rifle. It got me in the nose. And nobody else knows that story. Please don't tell anybody. Oh, man, I, I could easily do that. Now, did you did you make the shot? Did it, did it work? Hey, I don't remember, Eric. That okay. was so long ago. Okay. <laughs> no, I missed the shot. One of the other things I loved about your commencement speech, you talked about uh, when you were uh, a, a student manager for the basketball team and you talked about wanting to pursue your dream of being on the basketball team. And at first you didn't tell anybody about your dream. Then you started saying, you know what? I, I want to give this a shot. I've you know, only got two years left. So you started talking about your dream um, tell me a little bit about that, because that very, very much resonated with me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's true of all of us is that we hold our dreams kind of tight, because if we tell people, then we feel like if once I tell people, I might fail. And so if your dream in life is to be the best singer ever on the planet, but you don't tell anybody, then you never really failed because you didn't really tell anybody. So you still have in your mind that you could still be that singer, but you'll never become the greatest singer by not singing. So that's the irony of it. So I did the same thing. I was sitting there, I was cut from my basketball team as a junior in my high school. And so when I, I love basketball, I loved it so much in eighth grade, that's my entrepreneurial start. I sold Marigold seeds first, but then I wrote a, in eighth grade, I wrote a magazine called Swish Magazine. I still, it's a pretty cool logo still. I'm pretty proud of the logo, but Swish Magazine. So my dream is to play college basketball. And then I'm the manager, which is the water boy. And I loved it. I love being part of the team. You're there. You're, you're there more than the players. It's a, it's a bigger grind, honestly, uh, than the players because it's more time. 
but I had that dream. It kind of whispers at you. It kept saying, you can do it. You can do it. And I realized I needed to put on, I told the students in a commencement address that I go, Hey, no offense. I know that a lot of you put on the freshman 15, but I put on intentionally the freshman 50. So I went from 160 pounds to 210. That was my main thing. I need to put on strength. And, and I saw it. I'd play against the players after practice. I go, man, I can make the team. Junior year probably could have made it, but I didn't have the guts. I hadn't told anybody. Still didn't have that. Thought people would laugh at me. It was that moment against the wall when you wake up that summer and go, wait, I only have one year left. People always think they have eligibility. Once you start college, your eligibility starts, even if you're not playing. People don't know that. So once you start it, the clock starts ticking. So I have one year left. What's there to lose? So it took that moment to be if you're back against the law, nothing to lose. So I started telling my brothers first and they didn't laugh, which was good. They're like, you need to work out more. So they're kind of supporting you. Uh, some people laugh, but most people didn't. And they're the ones that support you. But that was the key. Once it's out there, then it's not just you. You've got support staff cheering you on. And then also you try almost a little bit harder because you don't want to let them down. You're not just going to let yourself down. Um, and then fortunately, I was still the manager. So I was doing all the manager work, but they were letting me try out for the months leading into the season. There's only one open spot because they only have 13 folks on the team, 13 players. And then I walked in, I remember it was in October, it was for media day. And there in the locker was 42, Jackie Robinson's number, 42 is there hanging. And there's my name on the locker, on my jersey for media day. And then everyone's just clapping because they knew I usually walked in a certain time to do certain things. And so I was like, oh man, that's crazy. So it was one of those Dude. moments. And then they wound up giving me a scholarship actually. So. I never would have thought that would happen, but it wouldn't have been possible without sharing the dreams. I think that for the listeners out there, I know you, you have a dream. I have dreams right now that I'm holding tight to the vest. So it's still a learned process, right? I've got some, some dreams deep in there that, that I haven't let out, but, but you got to let them out. And then when you do that, then you're going to get that support. And then now, now you're going to go for it. Man, I, I love it. Uh, so inspiring. You, uh, Rudy's got nothing on you, my friend. That's a, that's an <laughs> awesome story. Um, the, one of the reasons it resonates with me is because, as you know, I wrote a book and I was probably a year into writing my book before I even told my family I was writing a book for the exact reason you just said. What if I fail? I'll look like a failure. And so uh, and I didn't have the gut. So thank you for uh, hopefully you've inspired. I know you've inspired others. It's funny you mentioned the movie, Rudy, because Angelo Pizzo wrote that book. I mean, that movie and produced it and directed it. And then he also wrote the movie Hoosiers. It's so always a huge fan of Hoosiers. And so I'd written him a note saying, hey, this kind of inspired me to make the team. Well, it turns out he's a huge Indiana basketball fan. And so then we started, we've been pen pals now for over 20 years, but he was writing the movie Rudy. So he wanted some insight around that as well. Cause that was the walk on, right? So it was just a, it's a friendship that we've had, which has been fantastic. But both those movies are amazing. Hoosiers and Rudy. Well, uh, you've just inspired me to ask you to ask him to be on the podcast next. So uh, be prepared go. for that. <laughs> okay. There's a couple of catchphrases you, you put in your commencement speech, which I thought were awesome. Uh, the first one was those moments that don't defeat us define us. And the other was the comeback is always greater than the setback. So I don't know if you've coined those terms, but I know uh, they're, they're, uh, they're pretty catchy. Yeah, I mean, the I'm sure someone said that first one before, but when I was writing it, I was like, that just came in. Those that those moments that don't defeat us define us. I'm sure someone said that before. The second one, the comeback's always greater than the setback. I actually had coffee with a 
a friend of mine that lived across the hall. I actually went to high school with her. And then when we went to Michigan State, we, ironically, she was on the sister floor. And so we've been friends since we're, we're actually in first grade together. So it's kind of crazy. So I grabbed coffee with her. And then I was telling her what I was going to go over. And she goes, she, she gets credit, Kelly, Kelly McCann, for the comeback is always greater than the setback. Oh, that's awesome. We're going to, we'll put that in the, uh, in the show notes for sure. We'll, we'll help you get that word out there and we'll, we'll get uh, credit to your friend. So uh, speaking of my book, Who's Your Mike? So as you know, I wrote a book called Who's Your Mike? A No Bullshit Guide to the People You'll Meet on Your Entrepreneurial Journey. Each chapter is a different character or archetype of one of these employee types. I'd love from you, like, what was your favorite character from the book? I know you're quoted in the book, which is awesome. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Uh, so characters like Mike, who's the title character, you've outgrown. Harry, the hustler, you've overpromoted. Pipeline Paul, the big swinging full of crap you know, airbag. Wh which one resonates with you the most? I mean, you have bounce around Betty. I always yep. like Pipeline Paul because like, you know that person, like Pipeline <laughs> Paul's there. And I love the book because like you said, I mean, the whole purpose of it is at some point you grow to 20 million in revenue the people that got you there might not take you to the next level which is very difficult because they're so loyal and and so it's very tricky uh when you get to those those spots and and you've lived it i've lived it in organizations like yahoo i remember people crying when we got rid of the founders because they needed a different ceo to come in to take it to the next level uh and so it's 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 just a it's a great it's a great book and i love that it's the for those that don't like business, this is the book for those that don't like business books. That's good. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I'll, at some point, I'll ask you any new characters I should add based on your journey. Uh, any, well, actually, maybe I'll ask you now. Any any come to mind? Uh, shiny, uh, what was it? Shiny object Sarah. Shiny object Sarah would come to mind. Like they're going after the next shiny object. Oh, crypto. Let's grab that. Oh, AI. <laughs> let's go 100% on AI. You know, All shiny right. object Sarah's out there. I love it. No, I just finish it. what we're working on. We don't need new ideas. Like execute the ones we have, and then we'll go to that one. Hey, I'm a shiny object guy, man. So I've yeah. already uh, started writing the new book called Shiny <laughs> Object, Sarah. Hey, so Eric, we're at the point of the show where I want to talk about your unlocking move. And you, we, perhaps we've talked a little bit about one of them, but it's that key pivotal moment, maybe a couple of moments or decision points that really change your trajectory. Are there anything you'd like to make sure you touch on? Gosh, I mean, there's so many over the course of your journey. Uh, that's why I love the, the show. Obviously, we talked about one, like having the guts to tell people I want to try out for the basketball team. Now, the big thing there is you make Michigan State. We're number one in the country my freshman year ranked. I mean, it's a program that's top 10 traditionally. And so what that taught me was that if you can dream it, you can do it. And so any hard moment after that, I could always recall that and go, wait, if I could do that, then I can do this. Um, and a lot of people get out of school. I was the same. You get out, you don't know what you're doing. You have those moments that are kind of dark, like, what am I doing with my life? I was just traveling with the basketball team. Now I'm in the red eating Big Macs. I don't need money. I'm eating just pasta all the time because I don't have any cash. Like, what, what am I doing? Um, so that was a big, big moment because I always reflect back, like, if I can do that, I can do, do anything. Another big moment was just like you mentioned. So when I wrote Social Nomics, um, that, was a, that was a big moment, but really a critical point, a pivotal point was I did a video that went massively viral. And so that was social media revolution, just all this animation. And so most people kicked off their meetings with that. So that's way more popular than the book itself. Uh, they're like, who did that video? And the biggest key point there was I was getting pushback from the publisher 
because I go, well, this, this video is going to really help sell the book. And they go, but you don't mention the book in the video. And I go, and you don't mention yourself in the video. I go, that's the point. The point of the video is to be useful tool for other people out there. They go, that does, that's not going to work. Whatever. I go, did you read the book? Like, did you read social dynamics? Cause that's the whole point of the book that it's not about you. It's about letting other people take your work and push it out there. And so fortunately I had the conviction when a lot of smart people that have been in the industry longer than I am just said, nope, my gut says, I don't want to mention the book. I don't want to mention myself per se in this video. Let's make this a useful tool for people that need it. And so that was a critical moment to, I guess, stay by, I think you need to listen to people and I always do take it in, but also go with what you think you can live with. Um, and so funny enough, the, what happens in Vegas stays on YouTube book. That's the subtitle I wanted for social dynamics, but they said, now nah, it needs to be more businessy. And so I go, no, I think that that title, people are going to like it. So eventually I was able to do it three books later. Uh, but it's also try to try to listen, but also try to go with what your gut's telling you as well. I, I love it. Uh, what you just told me was the experts aren't always right. And, uh, you trust your gut, especially if you're trying to disrupt things and do things different. So that's a key takeaway for me. I always say on stage, pioneers get pushback. If you weren't getting pushback, if it was easy to be done. So pioneers get pushback to signal your pioneering. So it's super frustrating in the moment when I was younger, you kind of understand that. But then as you get older, you're going to anticipate that pushback and go, I understand this is kind of crazy guys, but I think this is where we're going. And let me circle back in a week. And so we go over it again, because I get it. I just sprung this on you, but we'll come back. I think this is where the world's going. I, I like it. Uh, pioneers get pushback. There's a fine line between shiny object, Sarah, and sticking to your gut because you're doing something new and unique. So I appreciate the, the nuance there. So Eric, I like to consider myself the listener's advocate. What would I want to find out about Eric if I've got him one-on-one -on -one in this call? I had a question teed up, which I'll still ask you, but you've gave, given me a new one. Give me one of those dreams that you've got locked into your head that you haven't told anybody. Gosh, one of those dreams locked in there. I don't know. At some point, I want to give back, and it might be as large a scale as like being a senator or president with politics going on. It's like, those are our two best options. Like, so you just like maybe 10, I wouldn't do it when my kids are young, but down the road, maybe if you build the personal brand large enough and somehow you can give back through public service that way, uh, whatever that form it takes, I think that that would be very interesting 10 years from now. So that's why it's kind of in there right now because it's not something now, but it might be down the road. I tell you what, the world could use a superhero right now. So uh, <laughs> we need equal man. So the question I was going to ask is uh, what bit of advice would you give to someone else uh, who's on the edge of trying to get out of their comfort zone? They, they want to make that leap. They, you've maybe inspired them, but what else could we tell them? Just write down what's the worst thing that could happen if you did this. So let's say you're thinking about switching positions and I've done that a couple of times in my career. So I'd always make a list or the last leap was to go all in on just writing and speaking. So I wrote down, if this failed, what would be the recourse? And I go, you know what? I, I could probably get a similar job to the one that I have currently. I could just explain, look, I had this book, it was doing well. I wanted to go full-time, speak, and it didn't pan out, but this is what I've learned. And so even probably more valuable to be able to come back uh, with different skill sets by doing that. So 
I think that's always a helpful exercise. Whatever decision you're making, obviously pros and cons list, but on that that list at the bottom, what's the worst thing that can happen if I do this and it's an absolute 100% failure? <laughs> like what's the absolute worst thing that could come out of it? Sometimes it might be pretty bad. So that's also a good exercise to do that, to, to write it down and go, oh, okay, that's, that's a little bigger cost than the risk. So you're weighing that risk reward. So that mantra, what's the worst can happen is one I live by. It's one my wife hates that I live okay. by it, but I, I love the, I love it. What, yeah. What's the worst that can happen? And you, you're, you're taking the extra step of writing it down. I probably just ignore the worst that can happen and just go do it. So Eric, I've got one more question for you and it's a, little bit of a trick question, but it is, uh, what is one thing that no one ever asks you that you kind of secretly wish that they would, or maybe you kind of wish or glad that they don't. Maybe they want to ask you like, what's your greatest fear? Usually. Talk to and me. What is actually it? actually supercharge if you know what your greatest fear is. So my greatest fear is something happened in my family. And I think that's true for a lot of people out there that I've said that a lot of listeners are probably shaking their head. And so it helps you in the sense that when you're having a bad day, you can go to that and go, what, this isn't that big a deal. Like whatever that might be. And you get upset about little things sometimes. You're like, wait, I asked for this to not have cheese on it. And they brought it with cheese. And you're like, the big picture, when you go to that biggest fear, very minor. Right. Or audio check. The mic wasn't work when I'm on stage. You got one job for the mic to work. Mic doesn't work. Very easy to get upset, especially since it might be the fifth time in the last five years the mic didn't work at different events, that you could get upset pretty quick and you see people do that. But if you can go to that place where it's like, you know what? That's very minor inconvenience. And I'm not gonna remember this a couple of years from now. Man, that's great advice right there. Man, I love it. So Eric, on uh, where else can we find out about you or Equal Man? I'm easy to find. I'm just Equal Man across the board. So feel free to send me an email. It's equalman at equalman.com. The website's equalman.com. So very, very simple to find. Uh, yeah, feel free. I love when people reach out. If I can help in any way, please do. Awesome. Eric, on that note, we're going to wrap this puppy up. Please go like and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you consume your podcasts, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever. And Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you know that you're an inspiration to millions and I know you don't take that lightly or take it for granted. Thank you. No, thanks for having me on. And I think there's a metaphor with the scope on your rifle that if you get too close, that that can blur your vision. You know, there's something there. I, I, I think there's something there like a story wise. Hey, tell your, ask your friend Kelly to come up with a catchphrase for it. No, yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> she's amazing. So it's great. All right, Eric. Thanks so much for joining me, man. If you're an entrepreneur and you think you might have outgrown a member of your team, or maybe you've got a mic, as we talked about in Who's Your Mic, check out this quiz at whosyourmic.com slash quiz. That's whosyourmic.com slash quiz.